Hey, big boxers. Welcome to On The Shelf, a program that is dedicated to helping you get your products into a major big box retailer. Tim here with you. Hope you're having a great day. Hope that uh, you're ready for a fantastic podcast because that is exactly what we have lined up for you. Sorry about my voice going through a little bit of allergies, but I definitely wanted to get this out there. So I can't wait just because my voice is sounding scratchy. The show must go on. Yeah, so we have a great show lined up for you. I'm going to get to that in a second. Wanted to let you know that I, next week, am headed off for the first time to the Canton Fair in China. Very much looking forward to that. Super excited to be hanging out with the folks from the Canton Fair experience. And uh, it should be a good time. If any of you are headed out to the Canton Fair, going to be there around the dates of the 23rd through the 25th or around like that, hit me up, send me an email and we will connect. I would love to meet you in person. So if you're going to the Canton Fair, hit me up. Let's meet. All right. Hey, I hope your businesses are going well. It has been an interesting year so far and we're coming up on the end of the year. And I know that for a lot of you, you guys are in the middle of some crushing sales on Amazon, maybe e-commerce. You have orders that are shipping now into retailers for fourth quarter. And I know this can be a stressful time. Just take a minute to breathe and know that it's all going to be okay. I know that things can get stressful. I know that sometimes, you know, there's a storm, there's this, shipping is off. But somehow, in the end, it all works out. I guess the biggest piece of advice I can give you is that if you have people counting on your products being there, and there's a hiccup here, a hiccup there, be transparent about it. Get out in front of it if you can. The second that you know that there might be an issue, that's when you need to start talking to somebody. If you have a buyer that's waiting for product and you found out that it's held up at the port, give your buyer a call ASAP. Let them know as soon as you know something and what you're doing to resolve it and what the possibility or the time frame that it looks like that it will deliver based on the information that you have. And then give them daily updates as to the progress. The more upfront, the more transparent you are about any issues, the more that buyer is going to be willing to work with you and not want to cancel that order. The more that you're solution-oriented, the more that you come through and say, hey, this is what's happening and this is what we're going to do about it, again, the more willing that buyer will be to help you out, be part of the solution. But if you hold it back, if you don't say, if you think that maybe it's going to correct itself, if you keep waiting for it to be released before you say something, you're going to find yourself behind the eight ball and that's not a good place to be, all right? So take a breath, make sure that you communicate every step of the way. All right, makes sense? Hey, I know that I told you that TLB Consulting website's going under some construction, and that construction, people, is almost complete. You can actually go to tlbconsulting.com and see the new site. It's not fully completed yet. We still have a lot of page build out to do. But the structure is there. You can book coaching appointments. You can book a product eval. You can learn about upcoming masterclasses and uh, mastermind events. 
So there's a lot going on there. TLB Consulting is going to be the hub for everything about getting your products into retail. Anything that you want to know, anything that you want to do, anything that you want to learn is going to be available at TLB Consulting. There's access to the podcast from there. There's access to TLB Mastermind Group from there. And uh, there's access to us from there. So we're excited about it. If you want to go by and check it out and uh, see the progress that's being made, please do. Another quick announcement, our scaling beyond Amazon is coming. Uh, We're looking at the dates of the last week of October, or actually the 22nd and 23rd of October, or the 5th and 6th of December. We're going back and forth and and we'll let you know. But what this masterclass is going to be, it's a half day, people, on evaluating your Amazon private label product for placement into retail. I know what you guys are thinking. I know you've been seeing people get delisted, hijacked every step of the way. And it's concerning because if all of your business is in Amazon right now and you're not diversifying, you're not in a good position. You're putting your entire business at risk. It's time to start thinking what's next. Not that Amazon is going away. Not that you're going to stop selling on Amazon, but nobody would ever put their entire fortune into one stock and hope that that stock does great, right? Nobody. So nobody should ever put all of their business and weigh it all on Amazon. Let's start to find out, can your product transfer into retail? And that's what this masterclass is all about. We cover eight different categories to evaluate your product and company for moving over to retail. And when it's done, you are going to have a strategy to make that move. Don't miss it. You can go to the website, actually under Mastermind, find it and actually fill out the questionnaire. If you're interested in uh, jumping into this masterclass, you can go right now and fill out the questionnaire, tlbconsulting.com, click on Masterminds. It's at the bottom of the page. You can say apply now and boom. You can fill out the questionnaire and you'll be ready. And we'll be sending out the information when it's ready to actually register for the class. Super excited about that. All right, enough about TLB Consulting. Let's talk about Kiri Masters. All right, Kiri Masters is our guest on the podcast today. And I'm sure that you've heard her name because she is taking the internet by storm. I've seen her on multiple podcasts and uh, I was so glad that we were able to grab some time with her to talk about what she's been doing with her company, Bobsled Marketing. Now, speaking of Amazon, she is helping people and businesses and brands crush it on Amazon. Not just from a sales perspective, but from, what's the word for it? From a holistic, complete view of your brand and how to actually pick your brand up and move it down the road and get it growing, scaling, doing better than you ever thought possible. She's got plenty of testimonials on her website. I'm not going to steal her thunder, but I am going to tell you a little bit about, because she just launched a new book. It's called Amazon for CMOs. It's awesome. It's everywhere. She has a book that came out before that called Amazon Expansion Plan. She co-hosts a podcast, e-commerce brain trust. And like I said, She's a contributor to Forbes, She uh, Retail Wire. I mean, like I said, she's just killing it out there. And we're super excited to have her on the podcast. So let's not uh, take any longer. Let's get right into it with Gary. 
Hey, Kiri, welcome to the program. So uh, glad that you're here. Thanks for spending a bit of time. Thank you so much, Tim. Great to be here. Now, I know because we talked earlier and uh, because I've looked at your website and see what you guys are doing, but for the big boxers out there, which is what we call our listeners, let's start out with you just telling them just a little bit about kind of high level who you are, what you do, so that we get that context in there, and then we'll get into some other topics. Yeah, sure. So I'm the founder of a company called Bobsled Marketing, which is an agency that helps brands to grow and manage their Amazon channel. And I came into this business from a completely different career in banking, of all things, and had a little e-commerce business that I started on the side while I was working for my day job at JP Morgan Chase and uh, eventually got introduced to the Amazon ecosystem during my exploration there. And this was back in 2014 or so, where Amazon was really starting to pick up steam on the marketplace side of things. And I really fell in love with the platform and eventually started consulting for some other companies that needed help. And my agency was officially in business in 2015, just as me. And today we're a team of 30 people who manage the Amazon channel for about 50 or so different brands in the US and beyond. Wow. So you have uh, 50 companies that you're managing business for. And how many people did you say are under the bobsled roof now? 30. 30. Now, why bobsled? Where did the name bobsled come from? <laughs> There's, um, well, yeah, you would know more than anyone when you're choosing a name for a company. It's like, it's one of the biggest decisions you can make and also just something that needs to, you need to make a decision on. <laughs> so right. you can literally start uh, getting business. So with Bobsled, there was a, uh, like a toboggan that one of our friends had given my husband and I as a wedding gift and I'd turned it into a lighting fixture and hung it up on the wall because my first business was in DIY lighting. And so I was went through a, a phase of turning everything I could into a lighting fixture. So we had this toboggan on the wall and I looked around, I was like, what about bobsled? And the idea was with bobsled, we'd give your business a push and we'd get in the drive, help you in the driver's seat. And I thought I'd be able to figure out a really nice pithy tagline to um, bobsled marketing, but never really landed on the perfect tagline for that. So if anyone has any ideas, I would welcome those right now where a few years in business now, it's surprising how few people actually ask. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. So there you go, big boxers. If you guys want to weigh in on uh, a tagline for Bobsled marketing, you could be uh, integral into, you know, <laughs> pushing it forward. My mind is already, you know, spinning on, on things, but I think you, you know, I kind of thought maybe Bobsled was in some way related to, you know, when I watch the Olympics and bobsledding and, you know, as you said, like they said, they give a push and they jump on board. And mm -hmm. as they move down the, you know, I don't know whatever track you call it, track, you know, they pick up speed, right? Eventually yeah. getting going really fast. So in my mind, when I thought of bobsled marketing, I thought of, hey, you know, we get you going. And then once you're using our agency, we really can help you pick up speed. So uh, uh, yeah, that's it. There's something like that. There's, there's something there. Yeah. <laughs> But a few people end up asking about that. It's really when I go on podcasts that everyone wants to hear the story behind that name. Okay. So what are you saying? I'm just like every other podcaster and ask you the same question. <laughs> now I really have to go hey, back to... 
I'm a podcaster myself and, and listen, all I have is respect and admiration for what you do, Timothy. <laughs> it's interesting. You know, I think, uh, you know, I think the thing I like about podcasting is you, you get to give people direction and information, but you don't have to hear necessarily back. And so it's a great platform to just tell people what to do and, uh, um, and, and let that get out there. And uh, yep. I'm constantly, I guess, humbled, I guess would be a good word, amazed and humbled when I talk to people and, and uh, what they've done or just listening to the podcast, what it's helped with. And so to me, mm. that's, uh, that's the most fun part is you're just talking to people and you're affecting people in ways and you don't even know. You don't even know. Most of yes. the time, you never know. Yeah, that's the great thing. And also the really challenging thing is that feedback is difficult to come by. I love it when I hear from people that they listen to the show and they and all of that, but it's not so visible. You don't really get to see likes or comments don't really appear in, in podcast land. So it's a blessing and a curse. Right. Indeed. Did you hear that, Big Boxers? Because we had this uh, 30-day campaign to really get the conversation going and that still didn't go so well. So I'm right on board with you on the lack of uh, participation or feedback that you get. But I think it's mostly because, you know, I just talked to somebody maybe 20 minutes ago that said they listened to the podcast while they're mowing the lawn. So <laughs> mowing the lawn, by the time you're done with that, you know, you're on to the next thing. And I think that people listen to podcasts at all different types of times and they're not always in a position to go back and, and make comments. And so, it's generally here for people when they want to ask something or they need something or they're, you know, they've heard something and they want some more information, which like you said, any drop of uh, feedback that you can get is like water in the desert for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So I keep wanting to call you Kiki. I don't know why, but uh, Kiri is not rolling off my tongue very well. Uh, <laughs> so if for some reason during the podcast, I call you Kiki, I totally apologize. But obviously, you're not from here. You're not from the U.S. or uh, you picked up an accent somewhere. Yeah, so I'm Australian and I moved to New York in 2010 slash 11. It was about at the end of 2010. So, wow, jumping in just from Australia. Where in Australia? I grew up in Perth, that area in Western Australia. And I lived in Sydney for about five years where I was in the retail banking world as a in marketing and corporate strategy. And then my husband and I decided to move out to New York in, in 2010. And I started working at JP Morgan when I got there. Was that super culture shock from, I mean, Australia is so laid back to go from there to New York. Was that? Yeah. You know, it, it was a big, the weather was a big thing for me to wrap my head around because I'd only seen snow when I went on vacation really. And New York has a pretty, um, significant winter season and so it was a big deal for me to wrap my head around so what do you do you wear your snow boots to work and like just how people got around in cars in the snow was a big thing for me to wrap my head around so it was those sort of mundane things that were most challenging now perth australia the last time i was in australia there was this big deal going on in perth that you know surfers were going out in the water and just never coming back mm -hmm. <laughs> And mm -hmm. I think that that was even on the cover of, uh, it was on the cover of Time Magazine or, or a magazine. I mean, they had this big, huge issue with just not necessarily shark attacks, but just like uh, going out and, and getting eaten by sharks and never coming back. Mm. Yes. Um, the sharks are 
us alive and well in, in those waters. And I grew up in a town that was really famous for surfing, still is. It's called Margaret River. It's famous for surfing and wine. So it was a vibrant place to grow up. And, um, yeah, it, it's a big risk and, and surfers know the risk that they're taking. It's kind of like any extreme sport. There's different kinds of risks involved and with surfing it's, it's sharks and people certainly do die. They do get attacked, but it's one of those things, you, you know, what you're getting yourself into. Right. Yeah. What I couldn't actually, and, and the only reason I mentioned it is because I think at the particular time, it was just way above the normal rate. I think there was just like right. this six month period of time where it was just crazy. And what I kept thinking was, and they're still going out. Yeah. You know, they still go out and they're still surfing. Um, you know, it's things the rush, are, man. <laughs> it's the rush, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. having a big mouth on your leg is a rush too. But I just remember being there at that particular time and it was big news. I mean, Sharks all around the country, especially, you know, speaking of sharks right now here in Florida, we've had more shark bites than mm. in any other year. But there's shark bites. You know, these are sharks that are coming in dangerously close to shore. I mean, in knee deep, right. uh, yeah. grabbing the ankles of people. But people are, like I said, going out in the water necessarily and never coming back. So, right. but uh, yeah, anytime a shark puts their teeth on you, it's going to hurt and, uh, and you know, there's going to be a problem. So, <laughs> puts their teeth on you. <laughs> yeah. You know, so. All right. So growing up in Perth, did you, were your parents entrepreneurs or uh, where did you get the bug to become an entrepreneur? I think that they were entrepreneurs in, in their own way without realizing it or certainly before it was ever cool. My dad had a day job and he also started the driving school in my town. So he taught a lot of my friends to drive. And me. So he ran this driving school for a few years and was a teller at a bank. And on the side, she was an Avon lady. So, yeah, they both were sort of operated small businesses for a good portion of my time growing up. And that was always kind of normal to me. So I think I kind of dabbled in, in those sorts of things throughout my childhood as well. My, my dad also had like an insulation installing business as well. But these were all like really part-time small companies. And I do have a vivid memory of me helping my dad out. He would kind of subcontract me, I guess, as like a 12-year-old a or something. Because nice. <laughs> I could get into the small spaces in the ceiling. So I guess I have always grown around, grown up around small businesses and, and thought of that as pretty normal to dabble on the side with some things. And but the e-commerce business I started in, it was about 2011 or so. That was my first thing I really uh, set up for, uh, yeah, to, to run and, and grow. Even though in the, in the beginning, it was certainly more of a hobby. I was setting up the, the bookkeeping and filming tutorials on weekends. It was, a, it was a craft company. And so it was really driven by content. And so I, I filmed a lot of tutorials and there's some videos on YouTube of me making lamps. One of them has 140,000 views or something. And I saw recently, I've kind of forgotten about it because I made it like seven years ago. But yeah, there was this whole other period of my life where I was uh, making a lot of videos and content for my first e-com site. Nice. Yeah. And by the way, everybody, yeah, those were my dogs. And if, if my dogs can make noise or do something during a podcast, they absolutely will. They oh, could, yeah. They could be silent for five straight hours. And then the second I start a podcast, that's when all hell breaks loose for sure. But it's the podcast's code. 
yeah, I've got the same. <laughs> That's right. So, you know, I think it's interesting, though, that what you were doing before, you know, making lamps, that's a very creative endeavor. And I think entrepreneurs are creative in nature, you know, even though there's a certain part of being an entrepreneur that's left brain, the business part, you know, trying to make sure that the numbers work. But I don't think you can be an entrepreneur without being creative. Would you agree? Yeah, for sure. And there are certainly people out there who are creative in a different way to me. Uh, I've got a friend who runs a, a similar agency to mine that focuses more on on the advertising side of things. And he's always asking me, well, Kiri, what's the ROI of your podcast? And what's the ROI of the book that's coming out? Like, what do you expect to get out of it? And never have a good answer because I'm not a very metrics-driven kind of person. I don't constantly think about metrics the way that he does, for example, because he's very scientifically minded. But I think you, you need a little bit of both. And so there's different types of people out there running businesses and being very successful in their own way. So I think that anyone could really do it if you are able to harness, let's say if you are a real metrics oriented person, harnessing that in a way that allows you to be creative as well. So you do need to have a bit of left brain and and right brain working. Yeah. Jeez. If somebody were to come to me and ask me, Hey, what's the ROI of your podcast? I would say, (laughs) Yeah, I probably would not dive too far into that. But uh, actually, that's not true. You know, when I first started out, I wrote this article. Uh, It was called uh, How to Get Your Products into Costco 11 Mm. Crucial Steps. And I had purchased for $19 an article on how to write articles. And Mm. um, back then, eZine Articles was the best place to put your article and whatever. So I followed the instructions Mm. of this particular article to the T. And I wrote this. How to get your products into Costco. And that one article was read over a hundred thousand times. Oh wow. Uh, it was read so many, it was read so many times that they had to start the ticker back at zero, which really oh. irritated me. But wow. for a while, it was Good the number you. one refer of people to my business huh. and uh, bar none. And so now the podcast is the number one refer of people. So I can't say that yeah. you know the ROI on my podcast, I think, is probably great because it's really yeah. the the one way other than referrals that people get to me. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so if yeah, your friend were to ask, intimate. what's yeah. that? It's an intimate medium. Like they, they get to hear you speaking and it's very kind of casual conversations like this and they get to know you as a person. And so when they're ready to hire a consultant or, you know, find a service provider in that area, they already trust you because they've been listening to you have these conversations over months, years in some cases. Indeed. Yeah. And so I guess I was thinking about the ROI on my podcast is actually pretty good. I just don't (laughs) know what that number is. Uh, right. <laughs> all right. You keep coming back to do it. Yeah. So bobsled marketing. So you guys, uh, I mean, what is the, if you were to like boil it all down to the key thing that people come to you for, what would that be? Yeah. So the key thing that people come to us for is if you're a brand, you're a branded manufacturer, you might be selling to brick and mortar retail or through your own e-commerce site. And you also are selling on Amazon but the whole Amazon piece is really complicated. They change the rules all the time. There's new programs coming out that you get invited to and it's unclear whether those are worth it or not. And just in general, you don't have enough hands on deck to really wrap your arms around the Amazon channel and make the most of it. So in those cases, brands will come to us or other competent agencies in 
the space and there are several and we will manage the Amazon channel on their behalf. Everything from the operation side of things like inventory forecasting and disputing fees and following up with Amazon on cases to brand protection and a lot of companies have issues with unauthorized resellers on Amazon. So getting to the bottom of who they are and trying to clean up that landscape. Organic marketing, which is your content and SEO on Amazon. And finally, paid advertising, which is paid search as well as display media. So in most cases, we manage that all of those processes for clients and they're still involved to the extent of approving budgets and letting us know about new products coming out so we can launch those on the channel. Um, but we really act as a, an extension of their marketing and operations team to manage their Amazon sales and marketing channel. Okay. And so really, if you're having any one issue or you're having a bunch of issues or it's just growing beyond your control, those mm-hmm. are all really reasons that they, people could come in and speak with you. Yeah, that's right. So you might be... There's, the typical scenarios are you're not getting the growth that you're expecting or you just know that you're missing something and there's a lost opportunity or you're having a lot of issues with scaling or you're not on the marketplace at all or maybe you've you know there's just some resellers on the marketplace representing your brand potentially not in the best way so those are the usual scenarios that we come across is just under-optimization, lack of growth, or requirement to launch as the direct brand on Amazon. We do that in the US and the other major markets, Canada, Europe, UK. Hey, big boxers. Just a quick announcement from TLB Consulting. Are you looking to scale your business this year? Are you looking to get your products on the shelf of a retailer this year? Well, guess what? Booking a coaching call with me has never been easier. I know based on the past 10 years of working with clients that it can be difficult to be a solopreneur. It can be difficult to scale your business into territory that you've never been to. That's why I have opened up more slots this year than I've ever done before. One of my goals this year is to work with more clients, more solopreneurs, more big boxers looking to get their products into retail than ever before. I wanna work directly with you and share my experiences over the last 25 years of getting products into retail. I wanna share those experiences with you I want to talk to you from a place of somebody who's been there and I want to help you get to where I've gone. Like I said, it's never been easier. All you have to do is go to tlbconsulting.com, click on consulting, and then choose the time or the bundle that you want and get it scheduled. Let's kick off 2020 with a bang. Let's get you the information that you need. I'm looking forward to meeting you. And so if you were to pull your 50 or so clients and they were to say, man, Bob said marketing really helped me in my Amazon business do blank. What do you think the majority of them would say? 
I think the majority of them would say to really understand how Amazon works and to set them up for the future. And I think we're doing our job well, unfortunately, when our clients end up leaving and sort of graduating from using an agency because we try and be really helpful and educate our clients along the way as well about why this fulfillment method is better than that one and why they should be running this type of ads and what the ROI of each ad type is and how to do inventory forecasting better and why all these things matter, which is actually why I have been working on a new project called the Marketplace Institute, which is more of that self-serve platform where brands can still access our best practices and processes and tools and even talk with our team on a, our Amazon helpline but give them more of that self, more of those tools to work on their channel in a self-service way rather than paying an agency or consultant or freelancer to do absolutely everything for you. Once you've, once you've reached a certain level of competency and you have enough internal resources or team members to run with this, then there are a lot of processes that I think you can and should take back in-house once you get to a certain level of competence. Okay. Well, I mean, the Marketplace Institute sounds awesome. We'll talk about that more in a minute. Let me ask you a quick question though. I have found, and maybe I'm alone on this, you can tell me, that a lot of my clients, when we really dig into it, aren't really making much money on Amazon, even though, even if they have really great sales. Do you find that this is a common occurrence or... Because I find like that they don't put it all together. You know, they have marketing mm-hmm. over here. They're spending money on marketing. They're spending money on FBA. Yeah, maybe they're mm-hmm. doing a half a million dollars or more sales a month on Amazon. But when they really look down at the money in their pocket, when you put the P&L all together and you include everything, they're not really making much. Yeah, that is a really great point. And you're right. I think a lot of friends don't really add everything up together and look at a, a channel analysis. It's... It's hard enough work to put the P&L together <laughs> rather than doing a P&L for every channel. But your point is exactly right. You should really be doing a P&L for each channel and figuring out you know, what that's looking like. Possibly not on a monthly basis because there's a lot of ups and downs in retail, but maybe on a quarterly basis and certainly on an annual basis, what is the contribution from each channel And I would also add on to that, that some channels, you can't ever fully separate out these channels because someone might discover your product in a store and stores are still amazing channels for discovery and brand awareness, but they might discover your product in a store and buy it there for the first time and then end up buying on Amazon once they've been introduced to your brand. And that is a phenomenon that has been well supported by research that people will often try a new product in a store and then repurchase it on marketplaces like Amazon. So that factor, that's definitely happening these days. You do want to see the contribution from each channel and understand how profitable it is in its own right. But then you also need to understand you can't fully separate these channels out because the same person who buys at Costco is probably still has a Amazon Prime membership, you know, and they they might be buying in other channels as well. So I would say to do that analysis, but also be cautious about that crossover behavior that's happening. 
Sure. I think that you have to, you know, for instance, uh, I have a client right now that has a bunch of products. And so as you sell the line of products into a retailer, not all of the products have great margin. Some of them have great margin, some have average, some have a little under average. So you cost average the entire margin of the line. And mm. assuming that everything sells equally, the overall margin can be acceptable. And so, yeah, of mm-hmm. course, I think you have to look at everything. Is there any one part of Amazon that you think that people don't pay attention to that they really should pay attention to because it could be costing them money that they don't realize is affecting their overall profit. And, and I think a lot of times good sales on Amazon, you know, that cash flow can mask other issues. Is there one area that you would tell people, hey, make sure you keep an eye on blank? That's interesting. So you mean on a from a marketing standpoint or I'll give you an example. So I had a client, um, we were doing really great sales. In fact, sales were just really, really increasing, but they were only increasing in out of the total, I think 12 or 13 SKUs. There really, there was two SKUs that were really driving that business. And then what had happened was we had some SKUs that weren't selling really anything or very low sales. And the FBA cost of just holding those in the warehouse was costing us profit that we didn't realize until we really did a deep dive analysis. And then what we ended up doing is pulling those products and doing fulfilled by merchant on those. And Mm -hmm. so they weren't really costing us anything uh, to keep them because they already had a warehouse that they could hold them in. Is there any one Mm -hmm. area that you think that sometimes you should make sure you keep an eye on? Well, that's a good point because with fulfilled by merchant, for example, if you're fulfilling from your own warehouse and you don't get that prime badge, and that's going to have a, a, a really huge impact on your sales volume and velocity on Amazon because all Prime members want to shop Prime eligible products more or less. It just has an enormous impact on conversion rate. But then also Amazon ranks your products higher if you have that Prime eligibility. So this is a care- one that you need to think carefully about because although it might improve your margins to be fulfilled by merchant, it's going to have a huge impact on your sales volume. So as a company, this is your decision as a company, whether you're prepared to take a hit on some products to get people to try out your brand. And there might be some products which are not profitable for you, but they're gateway products. And then you make more profit on, on the rest of your line. Or you might be quite firm in that, you know, we can't afford for any product to be under profit threshold, let's say. And so we need everything to be at that threshold. So I would just layer in the factor of sales velocity going down if you don't have those products prime eligible. And something that some brands are able to do, and it's not going to work in every category, but doing things like bundling similar products together in packs or doing multi-packs, that can increase your average order value to a point where it is possible to do fulfillment by Amazon, have Amazon fulfill that order and therefore get the prime eligibility. Got it. Okay, perfect. Well, let's talk about the Marketplace Institute. So you alluded to it's kind of a drive your own boat, so to speak, and use the tools that you want to use and don't use the tools that you don't want to use and kind of be in control of your own. Can you break it down a little bit more? When's it going to launch? Yeah, that's a good way of saying it. Drive your own boat. So uh, it's Drive your own bobsled. Drive your own bobsled. That might be the, the new tagline. So it launches on September 16, 
which is at the time of recording this next week. And it came about because at Bobsled, we worked with a lot of brands who ultimately, like I said, graduated having learned enough about the system to be able to bring things back in-house. And for some of them, that was their plan all along. They just needed an agency to help them get over the initial hump of loading up their catalog and getting the content together and setting up the campaigns. And then they felt like they would be able to take things over themselves. So after seeing that happen for a few years and understanding, hey, a lot of brands don't want to be forever dependent on an agency, let's see what we can do to help support them if they decide to take things in-house. Because the thing with Amazon is it's not static. There are always new rules and programs and changes and things going on in the system that you need to stay up to date with. And it's a job and a half, honestly, to just stay up to date with all of the new stuff that Amazon brings out. So if you're a solo, if you're the solo Amazon guy or gal in your organization, you typically have other things to do as well, not just Amazon. So it's almost impossible to stay up to date on what's going on. How does this affect me? Does this affect my category? What does that mean for my item level profitability? All that kind of stuff. So if you're not working with an agency or consultant, you need a way to stay plugged in to the best practices of the day. And that's what we're doing with the Marketplace Institute. There's a knowledge base of all of our processes and checklists and best practices and analysis that we develop internally as an agency, as well as the Amazon Helpline, which I mentioned, where you can schedule a call with an expert in marketing, advertising, vendor central operations, seller central operations, And then the final piece is peer masterminds since after speaking with a few dozen brands, figure out how they learn and how they want to stay current. A lot of them wanted to hear from their peers and learn what's working well in adjacent categories and what's working well for other vendors who have very different problems to sellers. And it's kind of difficult to find a posse of vendors because there's not that many of them. So we're going to play the role of matchmaker and pull those pull small groups together and get them talking to each other about what's working in their businesses. Perfect. Yeah. I mean, I love, we do masterminds here at TLB. We do mm. masterminds on getting your products into retail. And it's such fun to see like-minded people together and come back mm. after a month and say, Oh, you know, I use this and I reached out to a buyer and this is what happened. And, they certainly get as much or more out of listening to their peers and what their peers are doing and having success with and also failures too, than they Mm do, you know, I just really put out the topic and, you know, tell them what we do and then they go off on their own and it's what they come back with. That's uh, so interesting and so helpful, I think. Oh, that's interesting. So you give them kind of assignments or do you just, you open up the topic and then everyone starts sharing about what's working for them or not. Yeah. So interesting that you should say assignments because it is kind of like that. And it depends on what mastermind you're in. So if you're already in retail and we're really then talking more best practices, but the masterminds that I run where people are getting into retail. Yeah. So we'll talk about, Hey, here's a way to write, you know, this is kind of how we write our pitch emails to buyers and this is what we do. And I'll give them an example and we'll talk about some things that have worked in the past. And then their assignment is to go out and actually write some pitch emails, reach out to some Mm. buyers. And then when they come back, they talk about that experience. And everybody has not only that, but during the month, they're talking about it in the Facebook group. And so 
when they come back to hear, you know, how it went and did they get any feedback and did buyer respond? That's the real gem. The magic happens. Yeah, that's really, (laughs) yeah, that's the magic part of any mastermind. And, and, uh, and to make a mastermind work, everybody has to kind of participate, you know? So it's super fun for me. I really enjoy it. And uh, in fact, I just did a recording for a, for a summit that's happening for young entrepreneurs. So this is, you know, kids that uh, have their own products that are uh, trying to take them to retail. I, uh, I'm part of that kids summit. And uh, I didn't mean to mention that, but I, now that I mentioned, I'll make sure I put that um, link on the uh, podcast notes, but yeah. So kids that are looking uh, that have already have products and created products that are getting into retail. I did a re uh, interview with the person putting that on uh, for tips for that. And so, there's a possibility that we may start a young entrepreneur mastermind, which man, oh, that's brilliant. That would just blow my mind to have little kids on there, you know, doing their thing. So, so yeah. So does the Institute cost anything? Oh yeah. <laughs> this is our secret sauce as an agency. So we're certainly going to be charging for it. So we've got a beta period where we're testing out our technology and testing out the system and everything. So through till November, we're going to just let in 100 new members for a discounted rate of $75 a month to access the knowledge base and our weekly office hours, conference calls, and some analysis that we share with the group. And then if you want to join a mastermind group, that's also $75 a month. And then the calls to the helpline are billed per session. So you just pay what you use there and so the rates are $25 for a 20 minute call and then after the beta period we're going to increase the rates so it's at least 50% off during the beta period but this is all yeah there's so much value here I think and, and we're going to certainly see what people resonate with the most whether it's the masterminds or how helpful the weekly calls are and the knowledge base and we'll see what kind of tools and resources end up sticking for the post beta period. Nice. So, I mean, kind of in a nutshell, there's a cost per month, whether it's going to be the beta cost of 75 or whatever you guys determine will be the mm-hmm. final cost to have access to the platform and all the mm-hmm. different tools that you guys have spent your life's work mm-hmm. creating. Mm-hmm. And then if you mm-hmm. want to be a master in a mastermind, that'll be an additional cost. And then it's just an hourly rate mm-hmm. broken down by 20 minutes to have access to an Amazon expert and actually talk to somebody. Yeah. So even at $150 that um, you mean, depending on how many tools are in there yeah. and, and uh, the expertise, that doesn't sound completely unreasonable to me. And so We'll be anxious to, and big boxers, don't worry. We'll have information in the show notes as to how to access that, especially if you want to be part of that beta group. Is there a level that people need to be at to really take part in this? I mean, can it be someone that's just getting their product up or do they really need to be at a certain level to really make this work for them? Yeah, that's a really great question. So I would say it's not going to be suitable for really early stage startup product companies that don't have their product for sale anywhere. Frankly, there are a ton of courses and really good free content out there even that is helping brands, uh, helping people to figure out new products to launch. And if you're an inventor and how to really get started with Amazon, or if you don't even know what you're going to sell yet. Frankly, there is so much content out there. If you're in that position, a quick Google will help you out with that. And a lot of it is free. What there is less content out there for. And what we're addressing here 
is that sort of more established brand that is selling through a direct-to-consumer channel or through retail and the Amazon pieces is the tricky part for them. So I would say just as a general, you know, just throw out some numbers out there, I'd say you want to be doing at least half a million in annual revenue. And then we've got some brands that are interested in this platform who are selling 50 million a year just on Amazon and they're looking for a network of peers and they're looking to stay engaged with what's going on. They want to stay on the cutting edge. So that's quite a big range, but I I wouldn't say it's for complete beginners and folks who haven't been running a product company for a while or, you know, managing a a P&L for a while. Nice. Well, that's a good distinction. I'm glad we talked about that. And by the way, folks, cutting edge, I don't know if that was a bobsled reference or not, but it certainly has a bobsled ring to it. Uh, <laughs> I, think I, well, could, I could bring you on as my personal branding guru and, and just come up with like a 10 or 12 different taglines right off the gate. Well, I'm sure I'll have a tagline for your bobsled <laughs> before the day is out and I'll, and I'll email it to you. But uh, uh, it won't, I, I'm not promising that it'll be a good tagline, but it will definitely be something. Okay. <laughs> I'll just expect to see that invoice come through. In a, oh, in a yeah. Weeks. I'm yeah. very expensive for tagline yeah. uh, uh, <laughs> creation, for sure. So I haven't asked this question in a long time, and it used to be something I asked every guest and has absolutely nothing to do with anything that we're talking about. But I'm always curious, over the course of my professional life, I've tried, I don't know, a gazillion, if that's even a word, different ways to keep myself organized. And uh, I finally, I think, have landed in a decent area in that way, but always looking to improve. How do you keep it all straight? So you're running a business that has you know, 30 employees, 50 clients, probably part-time. You're affixing lights to just about anything that you can find. <laughs> and uh, you know, how do you keep it all straight? Like, How do you keep organized? I don't. I'm not organized. There are things that slip through the cracks. If you email me directly, I might not respond for two weeks. Like there are just things that don't get done. My house isn't always clean. (laughs) So I think the first thing is recognizing you're not going to get everything done and focusing on not necessarily the most urgent things that come up, but what are the most important things. And um, so a big part of that for me is setting goals each year and each quarter and revisiting those and thinking so a big thing for me this year was to launch the marketplace institute and you can bet that there were a million things that came up that were screaming for my attention but i had to set aside time every day or every week to plan this out meet with the team put some strategies together so i think that that prioritization is is probably the most important thing because then you are able to sift and screen all of those things that inevitably come up in your day and figure out, hey, you know, this seems really urgent, but it's not really important in the scheme of things. That's such an honest answer. I really appreciate that, you know, I'm sure you're making everybody out there with a sigh of relief. Yeah, I think when, you know, when everybody hears somebody's going to answer that question, it's going to be just unbelievable. I use this app and that app and everything's completely straight. But the honest answer is (laughs) stuff slips through the cracks, people. And mm-hmm. you can't be perfect on everything. So thanks for the um, honest answer. I think for me, there's two key things that I've learned. And one is going to be a little bit of a cliche buzzword, I think. But if I'm always spending part of my week working in the business and part of my week working on the business, then mm-hmm. I have a good balance of making sure 
that my business was moving forward. It's the weeks that I just am buried in the business that the business doesn't actually move forward. So that's, yeah. that's one thing. And then the other thing that's really helped me, I, and this is more recent, probably this year, is allocating a certain amount of time to everything during the week. Not necessarily when I'm going to do it, but at least what day it falls on. And that's how mm-hmm. I stop things from slipping through the cracks. And so no matter what I'm doing, if I'm supposed to spend an hour on this particular thing this day, mm-hmm. then whether that hour comes at 10 at night or one in the afternoon, I do it mm-hmm. and it makes and it helps me to... Because otherwise, I get, I'll get lost in email and all I'll be doing is just triage all day long, email triage. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I can go literally weeks on email triage and never get anything done. Yes. Absolutely. So yeah, it comes back to that principle of other people dictating your time or you yes, they are the driver's constantly seat. dictating my time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You need to be in the driver's seat and you know, people are going to be coming up to your car and asking for your attention, but um, it's up to you to, uh, to come decide. on, Carrie. I was waiting for you to give that. That's another bobsled reference. You need to be in the driver's <laughs> seat of your own bobsled Um, if you're going to get into the marketplace Institute, bottom line. So last thing I know that you said you have a new book coming out and Mm -hmm. I know that this is for high level CEOs, COOs, CMOs, but tell us a little bit about your book for those CEOs out there that are listening. What's your book about? Yeah. So it's called Amazon for CMOs for chief marketing officers. And I wrote it with a a friend and colleague of mine, another agency owner in the Amazon space. His name's Mark Power. And um, so we put this book together and we, understanding that there's a lot of misconceptions about Amazon within larger companies, particularly at the C-suite, about Amazon was always thought of as a bookstore and then a place to buy cheap stuff and uh, just as a distribution channel. But really that it's an end-to-end marketing channel as well as a distribution channel. So we set up to dispel some myths and educate the C-suite. And during the course of writing the book, we also interviewed about 15 CMOs and retail executives to get the voice of the industry as well. So we spoke with CMOs and leaders from Mitsubishi, Mondelez, Samsonite, Charles and Covard, the Colvard jewelry company, the ex-CMO of Bonobos and a bunch of others as well. There's a head of Amazon. There's a guy with the title head of Amazon at the mattress company Tuft and Needle. His name's Byron Kerr. And so we're actually seeing the Amazon function really come into these organizations in a bigger way. So it's all about that shift that's happening within larger companies in thinking about Amazon. So if you're wanting to educate either yourself or other members of your C-suite, it might be a good resource to have a look at and see what other companies are doing about Amazon and the different perspectives within that brands have. Well, I think that, uh, I think sometimes reading above your level is never a bad thing instead of, you know, it's kind of like when I play golf with people that are way better than me, I play better when I play Mm. golf with people that are the same or not as good as me. I play horrible. So sometimes I I don't think it's a bad thing to read above your level and see what people that are where you want to be maybe in 10 years, what those people are currently doing to maintain that. So don't be afraid. I think if you want to just what you said, Kiri, right there is, you know, if you want to know what other people are doing in the Amazon space that are crushing it, that might be a fun, a fun read for them to do that. Mm. 
Yeah, for sure. That's a great point. Yeah, and it's called Amazon for CMOs, but I doubt that CMOs are going to be the only people reading this. It's really anyone that interacts with CMOs, reports to a CMO. Maybe you run an agency that where a lot of your clients are CMOs. Maybe you're a COO and you're interested in what's going on in um, your colleague's world. So, yeah, of course, the, the Amazon for CMOs is kind of a, uh, not tongue-in-cheek, but it's just we wanted to put a stake in the ground and say, you know, this is for an executive audience and the people who interact with that executive team as well. Nice. Do you think that, uh, I mean, the C-suite of titles is expanding. Do you think uh, Chief Amazon Officer is out there? That's a really good question. I think that the most striking to me and the one that made a lot of sense, frankly, is the head of Amazon that I mentioned at at, um, Tuft & Needle because that makes a lot of sense because that company is very focused on the Amazon channel and it's a significant channel for them. And so I think that they might have divvied up, you know, a head of... Uh, role for different channels that they currently operate. And I'm not 100% sure which position the head of Amazon reports through to, but it might be a CMO in that case as well, or a chief revenue officer, perhaps. Well, I think we just created a new position. Remember right here <laughs> on the shelf, we created the chief Amazon officer position <laughs> out there to put that on indeed.com and start searching for that. Listen, Kiri, wonderful to speak to you. Congratulations on your business and all your book and your eminently launching Marketplace Institute. It sounds like these are all great opportunities for not only the big boxers to listen to the podcast, but really anybody to understand Amazon in a better way. I appreciate your insight and, uh, and the time that you spent um, talking. Oh, thank you so much, Timothy. It was really great to come on. I appreciate the wide-ranging conversation. You got it. And don't worry, big boxers, as you see the new tagline on um, Bob Sub Marketing's website, you'll know who that came from. That's right. The secret's out. Thank you, Timothy. So great to be with you. Yeah, you as well. We'll talk soon. All right, big boxers. Kiri has left the building and that just leaves us. Did I tell you that she is killing it out there? She is just a fantastic individual. So glad to have her on the podcast. Kiri, thank you so much. We are honored to have you on. Thank you for sharing all of your knowledge with us and giving us access to all the great things that you are doing. We will have all of Kiri's details, of course, in the show notes of uh, the podcast on the shelfnow.com. And speaking of the podcast and the website, folks, again, we're looking for feedback from you. We want to know how you're feeling about the podcast. We want to know what are you liking? What are you not liking? How can we improve? What topics do you want to hear from? I love it when I get a Facebook messenger, an email, or a text message, or a tweet saying, hey, I haven't heard you talk about this because my mind gets blown. Boom. I can't believe it. We haven't actually talked about that. So please reach out to us. Let us know how we're doing and uh, what you'd like to see more of this coming year. I do also want to tell you that it's coming up, that time of year is coming up, and my schedule is filling up fast for end-of-year evaluations and 2020 strategy. Okay, You can take a look and book this on the website, tlbconsulting.com under consulting, but do it now because, like I said, this is filling up fast. These are only our sessions, and we can decide to take them 
to another hour if we want to, but they're initially only hour sessions, but they're very powerful because it's important, especially in the world of solopreneurs, where we're just working with ourselves. There's nobody to bounce ideas off. There's nobody to tell us, hey, think about this, think about that. And sometimes we get stuck in our head. We get thinking, and this can happen one of two ways. We can really think that things are going great when they're not, or we can tend to really just be super hard on ourselves. And so what we do here at TLB Consulting is we work with you to really figure out where you ended up this year based on what your goals were. And if you didn't reach your goals, if you felt shy of those, why did that happen? And what can we do differently this coming year with regard to getting your products into retail that we didn't do this current year? How can we strategize about taking it to the next level? It can make a huge difference when we really evaluate this year and take that information and push it into next year, 2020. I hope you guys will go tlbconsulting.com under consulting and book one of these end of year sessions. I'll look for you there. All right. Also, when I say reach out to us, of course, there's many places that you can reach out to us. Probably the best place right now, On the Shelf Now closed group. Just go to Facebook, hit On the Shelf Now. You'll find our page, which you can go ahead and follow that. But then you'll also find our closed group where you can hit join and we'll get you right in there so that you can start talking and interacting with people, like-minded people that are working on the same thing as you. On the Shelf Now closed group, Facebook. All right. Don't forget to check out how our new site's progressing, tlbconsulting.com. Don't forget to go to the podcast website and leave a comment and let Carrie know how you enjoyed what she had to say on the shelfnow.com. You uh, can find that and you can scroll to the bottom of the transcript and leave a comment. We appreciate that. All right, big boxers. That is what we have for you today. I hope that you enjoyed it. I hope to see you back here next time. But until then, look forward to seeing your products on the shelf. Mm-hmm.